Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And it must be November because we're talking about YouTube controversies. Thankfully, this November, not as impactful as the FTC and the rattling of the COPPA saber that I know a number of you really found the channel with last November. A lot of YouTubers, a lot of streamers, influencers, and everybody else involved in this video landscape. But we do have a conversation to be had because YouTube is fundamentally changing part of its business model in a way that will affect particularly smaller video creators, folks that aren't yet in the YouTube partnership program, which is the nice euphemistic way of saying, at least before yesterday, that we are going to run ads on our videos and that YouTube and the content creator are going to split the money. We see here on your screen right now a tweet from Team YouTube that says, if you are based in the U.S., and more on that later, you'll notice that we have updated our terms of service today. Last time we made a terms of service update, many of you had questions, understandably, about what this means for you. So we've broken the update down part by part in our forum, which of course we will be checking out as part of this video. Before we do, I want to give a hat tip to Haladmer at Haladmer on Twitter, who said, hey, I'm kind of curious as to the legal impacts if selected videos include those uploaded prior to this terms of service policy change fairly certain that the old terms of service included a license to YouTube for usage in their own content, but YouTube monetizing a user's channel like this, which we're going to talk about as part of their new terms, can they do that to stuff that was already on the service? The answer to that broadly is yes. We're going to talk about why. You'll also note that Leonard French of Lawful Masses wound up responding here as well. It said, as far as I know, this has always been true. And we will talk about why that is, why he thinks that, and why it probably is in fact the case as part of our read-through of these terms of service. Now, before we get into the weeds here, I actually want to say some nice things about YouTube and the way they're handling this, right? So they put together this forum post and realistically... Every single service that you use, every platform, Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, anything else that you use online that changes its terms of service should do something like this. Might put virtual legality out of work on these terms of service read-throughs, but there's still stuff to talk about, as you will see. But this is very helpful to folks that aren't necessarily represented by legal counsel and are otherwise providing your platform, whether it's YouTube or Twitch or anywhere else, with valuable resources, their time and their effort that is making you at YouTube or Twitch or Facebook money. And so when you're going to change the terms of service, you should be explaining what those changes mean in a post like this one. So let's take a look. Hi, everyone. Today, we're making a few updates to our terms of service. Now, it's worth noting here, just from the first sentence, that these terms of services were changed yesterday, November 18th, 2020. And I don't believe there was any notification given before these changes were made. So that means a couple of things under the current terms of the terms of service about what YouTube feels about these changes, which we will talk about when we get there. The terms of service are legal documents and written in legal language, so we are writing this post to highlight what it means in more plain language. Down with the lawyers, right? We're rolling out these terms of service starting with the United States, but they will be effective in all regions by the end of next year. Note how long that's taking. That's part of the story as well. If you want to view the terms of service in their entirety, check out the link here, which of course we will be doing. Clarification on data that can't be collected. So this is their first change. The previous language had a restriction that said you can't collect or harvest any information that might identify a person 
unless permitted by that person or allowed under section three above. So we go and we find this bit of language. We go through the terms of service. These are very minor changes in terms of volume of language, but could be potentially significant as part and parcel to what you are or not allowed to do on YouTube. And we can see here that the new section four now says collect or harvest any information that might identify a person with the parenthetical being, for example, usernames or faces unless permitted by that person or allowed under section three above. And we always have to check when they have this kind of permissive language. What does section three above do? It basically says that you can do these things. You can access the service. You can collect these things by public search engine or with YouTube's prior written permission. Now, it is worth noting from a kind of legal writing perspective that this is actually a parenthetical three. This is not a parenthetical three, but there are no other numbered sections of these terms of service. So I got to believe that this exception is intended to relate to the immediately prior provision about public search engines. We couldn't have YouTube outlawing Google, right? Or with YouTube's prior written permission, which to be honest, you're not going to get. So why did they add this? What is sense does this even make, right? They say, we added or faces to our terms of service to be explicit about what can't be collected. We are adding this into our terms of service to be extremely explicit about what kind of data users cannot collect from YouTube. YouTube has never allowed the collection of personally identifiable information, including data that can be used for facial recognition, under previous versions of our terms of service, but we want to specifically include language around facial data to be even more clear. We take user privacy seriously and want you to feel confident that your data is never being misused. Now, in this particular section, this is really talking about what at least sounds like mass collection of data. They use the term harvest. They also use the term collection, which means that it might just apply to one-off circumstances. But we wouldn't usually think as part of information that might identify a person as faces. Faces are something separate from information. Usually information is your social security number, your address, your phone number, your email, your real name, of course. But faces really haven't been discussed as part of this particular category of things to not do. And so I would imagine that YouTube general counsel or their outside counsel said, hey, we want to make sure that people aren't harvesting faces off the system. And so in order to make that very, very clear, we are going to post in the parenthetical here that faces are specifically exempt. And that might make sense if you're talking about large data analytics firms that might go to YouTube and might crawl videos and grab faces and use them for whatever purpose that they might determine in order to make their new AI robots to look at faces across the internet or whatever it might be. But in the individual instance, and again, I'm a lawyer. If you haven't been to virtual legality before, the lawyer's job is to take a look at the language, the proposed language in a contract, hear the revisions to that contract and say, how could this hurt you? What could YouTube do with this that maybe they couldn't do before? Now, according to YouTube, they've always thought that information that might identify a person includes faces. They're just trying to be more helpful. But I don't think that's entirely clear in and of itself. And I would suggest that this really starts to dovetail with a couple of things that we have seen on YouTube over the past 12 to 18 months, right? If you were in virtual legality a little while ago, you saw that I did a video called No, Susie Lou Doesn't Have a Copyright in Her Face. Susie Lou being another YouTuber that was getting very angry at other YouTubers for using her face in their videos, for criticizing the way that she was behaving on YouTube, for making other criticisms, some of which were probably justified, some of which were not. 
and some of which might have wound up on the side of harassment or cyberbullying. I can't speak to that in respect to Susie Lou. Certainly the video that we did was about copyright law and only using Susie Lou as a jumping off point. But when you've got YouTube making these new policies that say, hey, content that threatens individuals is not allowed on YouTube. We do not allow content that targets an individual with prolonged or malicious insults based on intrinsic attributes. Usually they describe this as physicality. They have an example, I think, about somebody complaining about another YouTuber's teeth. And it says you can't do that, but you also can't do something that reveals someone's private information. Now, is it revealing someone's private information when you go back up to these updated terms of service and they say we've added our faces because a face can identify a person? It becomes very difficult for someone like me to see exactly how that could be considered private if they are putting it up on YouTube, but now you've created this ambiguity. And if you've been in virtual legality before, you know that ambiguity is where the devil is in the details. Because if YouTube has ambiguity or Twitch or Facebook or anyone else, this isn't limited solely to YouTube. We're just talking about it in respect of these terms and conditions. If there is that ambiguity, they can use it to enforce whatever penalties they want under their terms of service and can otherwise make life miserable to someone that is using their platform for almost any reason. That's what ambiguity allows them to do. So they say, hey, it's a violation of our harassment and cyberbullying policy to reveal someone's private information, such as their home address, email address, signing credentials, phone numbers, passport number, or bank account information. They also note, however, that this does not include posting widely available public information, such as a public official's office phone number or the phone number of a business. But it's also a violation if you encourage abusive fan behavior, such as doxing, dogpiling, brigading, or off-platform targeting. And as we've talked about in prior videos, it's a little bit unclear what it means to encourage that behavior. Is it enough to just reference the existence of another person? Is it enough to reference that existence with the picture of a face? And is it enough to just reference that existence with a picture of a face if, for instance, you know that your audience is prone to doing these kinds of bad behaviors. By the way, don't do that. If you're following virtual legality, we don't like that stuff here on the Hoglaw YouTube channel, but I wouldn't expect any of you to do that anyway, which leads us back to this change. What is this intended to do? What does it prevent? Does it allow YouTube to actually come after and have another tool in their tool belt to fight against people that are referencing other YouTubers. YouTube doesn't love YouTube drama, doesn't love YouTubers getting in the news for yelling at each other, for pranking each other, God forbid, for swatting each other. But they also know that that is at least a partial driver of a portion of their business. So they try to walk this line. And it's very difficult to see exactly what they were aimed at with respect to adding this kind of concept that your face is information. Maybe they mean in the pictures in your accounts in Google if you use your own face. I don't know. This one is unclear. And unfortunately, when we get to the explanation, it doesn't add a lot of clarity for us. This is the kind of thing where we would like to see examples, right? Who are you trying to target here? And we'll see in the community guidelines that they did that they often give these examples. We, we look at the harassment policy. You get down to the bottom here and you see, hey, we've got examples of what this looks like. Repe repeatedly showing pictures of someone in the making statements that like, look at this creature's teeth. They are so disgusting. Targeting an individual and making claims they're involved in human trafficking. All these very bad things, which of course I think most people can agree are bad and YouTube doesn't want to be associated with. Kind of need those examples. Who are you talking about in terms of 
collecting faces. Is it just enough to reference another YouTuber if it's fair use under copyright? I don't know. But because I don't know, it adds another minefield for YouTubers and content creators to try to navigate, even with such an innocuous looking change like this one. This is one of those reasons why if you're negotiating your own contract, if it's not with YouTube, it's not a contract of adhesion. This is why I recommend you get a lawyer. It doesn't have to be Hogue Law, but I do recommend you get a lawyer because there are all these things in just a couple of phrases that could affect you in the future that are pretty difficult to see if you aren't constantly running through the hypotheticals about how a corporation could use it against you. Now, to get back before we go to the big change here to Halidmer's question on Twitter, he asked, could this affect, could these various policy changes affect videos that were already on the service? And the answer to that is yes. So in the YouTube terms of service, they already have a couple of provisions that protect them. They say, hey, YouTube is a constantly changing and improving the service. We may also need to alter or discontinue the service or any part of it in order to make performance or security improvements, change functionality and features. These changes may affect all users. You understand and agree that there will be times when we make such changes without notice, which of course appears to be what happened here. If you scroll down a little bit further, though, you do see a separate provision, which again adds ambiguity, which we don't like. This isn't a perfectly drafted document, but where they say in modifying this agreement, we may change it to reflect changes to our service. YouTube will provide, that's an obligation on their part, reasonable advance notice of any material modifications to this agreement and the opportunity to review them, except that modifications addressing newly available features of the service or modifications made for legal reasons may be effective immediately without notice. So you've got a couple of ways that you could put this if you are on YouTube. It's either not a material modification. They don't think this is a big change. Hey, we already covered faces. We already covered what we're going to talk about in the second half of this video. Or what we are doing now represents a newly available feature. That seems like a hard argument. Or it's required for legal reasons, which is a broad bucket, but might be applicable here as we will see when we talk about royalties. Now, if you're Halidmer, if you're someone else on Twitter, you get to this next sentence and you say, ah, maybe I've got them. Modifications to this agreement will only apply going forward. If you do not agree to the modified terms, you should remove any content you have uploaded and discontinue your use of the service. Now, this phrase here, you should remove any content you have uploaded, really gives away the game right? What we will see YouTube has having asserted that they can do under their agreement is that they're going to add ads to, to videos, regardless of whether they're or not they're in the YouTube partnership program. We're going to take a look at that language, of course. But the question is, can that apply if you're not in the YPP to the videos you uploaded six years ago and you only have 25 subscribers? Can they put ads on those videos? And the answer to that, even with this modifications to this agreement will only apply going forward, is yes. It means that they can put ads in your videos starting on November 18th and going forward, at least in respect of United States users. But if you don't like it, you should remove any content you have uploaded so that you don't get ads placed within it. That might not seem fair. I know a number of you are going to uh, reject the notions of contract law in here. I don't blame you if you don't like ads, but I am trying to explain how this is covered in the terms of service that they have put forth. So broadly speaking regardless of what or whether or not they have changed their rights under these terms of service. And we will see that there's actually an open question there. Even if they had, the real option for a user of YouTube is to take all their stuff off 
if they don't like something that is changed in the agreement. Obviously, that's a draconian response. It's not something that a lot of people are going to want to do, particularly if they are building their livelihood on the platform. But if they are building that livelihood on the platform, then chances are these changes don't actually relate to their particular channel so much. And what is that change? What is the one that people DM'd me and, and commented to me about and asked me to comment on? It is this new section, the right to monetize. You grant to YouTube the right to monetize your content on the service, and such monetization may include displaying ads on or within content or charging users a fee for access. This agreement does not entitle you to any payments. Starting November 18th, 2020, any payments you may be entitled to receive from YouTube under any other agreement between you and YouTube, including, for example, payments under the YouTube Partner Program, Channel Memberships, or Super Chat, will be treated as royalties, and if required by law, Google will withhold taxes from such payments. Now, a lot of people wanted to ask me about this, and I have a few things to admit about this, but before I do, I want to talk to you about the context in which this appears. So, this is under the section, Your Content and Conduct, and it says you are granting certain rights to YouTube. You retain ownership rights in your content. This video, for instance, remains property of Hogue Law. However, by uploading it to YouTube, we require you to grant certain rights to YouTube and the other users of the service. For instance, you grant to YouTube the right to use the content in connection with the service and YouTube's business, right? That makes sense. If you have uploaded it to YouTube, it needs to come with permission for YouTube to send it out to other people. We've talked about copyright law and intellectual property law in general, but I, as the creator of this video, have all the rights to distribute and to reproduce and to otherwise sell and transfer the video. I need to give those rights to YouTube if I want YouTube to do what it does, which is distribute it to other users. But note what is also in here, right? We license to use that content in connection with the service, yes, and YouTube's business. This language is doing a lot of work. It means that YouTube can use the video that you've put forth for whatever reasons it deems fit in order to operate its business. It's not limited specifically solely to access to the service, solely to making the functionality of YouTube work. And when we talk about what Leonard French says in his tweet about how he thought this was always the case and that he thought that YouTube could always monetize these videos, I have to admit that before I got on YouTube two years ago, coming up on the second anniversary of virtual legality in just about a week or so, before I got on YouTube, it was my impression that YouTube was running ads on almost every video that was up on the service. And it was just a matter of getting to a size, a place in respect of YouTube that got you a cut of the revenue that they were receiving for that advertising. Now, that will be the case after November 18th, 2020, but it wasn't the case before then. As I understand it, if you weren't a part of the YouTube partnership program, basically they weren't running ads on your videos at all. And it was only when you signed that YPP contract where you agreed to a revenue split that they ran those ads. But with this language and language like it, because different terms of service would have been in place throughout the history of YouTube, YouTube almost certainly reserved the right to use your videos as it saw fit to run its business. And they always would have been considering how to monetize, how to run the business, how to get profitability out of the business. And now they have flipped that switch, which you don't have to like if you're a content creator, but which I tend to agree with Leonard French and Lawful Masses was always built in to the language and the rights that YouTube had. That doesn't change the fact that they have now flipped that switch, that they are now operating differently, and that might rub some people the wrong way that operate smaller channels. 
but it does appear to have always been the case. The other thing that you are doing, of course, is that you're licensing rights to other users. You grant each other user of YouTube license to access your content through the service. And it's important to note, right, that that only means that you can access it through the service. So when I use a clip or when I make a reference to somebody else on YouTube or something else that they have said, then I have to go and find an exception under the Copyright Act under fair use in general because I'm using it as commentary. But a number of you come into my comments and ask me why I don't use clips so much. And oftentimes I use text screens. That's to really try to be on the side of fair use even stronger than it might otherwise be if you used clips or if you got into trouble with content ID or otherwise. But you, when you upload a video like I'm doing right now, you grant these rights to YouTube, you grant these rights to other users, and this is essentially what we might call a belt and suspenders type provision. You gave this right up here, but we wanna make very clear that you have given us the right to monetize your videos, to sell ads on them, and to realize that money for ourselves, and to not give you anything unless you agree to the YouTube partnership program terms. Now, one interesting thing there is the incentive structure, right? So right now, if you think about the partnership program, you have these requirements to join. You might not be familiar with this if you aren't a YouTuber, but you have to have more than 4,000 watch hours in the last year, and you have to have more than 1,000 subscribers. Then you apply, and it takes them a little bit of time. And then in my experience, they approve you, and you make 36 cents a month for a little bit uh, through AdSense, through YouTube, uh, and you don't make much more than that. But the interesting thing here is that YouTube's incentives were aligned with content creators. YouTube only made money if you signed up to the YPP, and so they wanted people to get to that YPP level. YouTube had the incentive to make sure that good videos were getting out to its user base because they made more money when they did, and now that incentive is a little bit misaligned. Right? If you think about it another way, if you think about it just from a business perspective, now YouTube has this portion of its user base that is going to make videos that are going to go out to, yes, very few people on a micro level, but in which YouTube realizes 100% of the advertising dollars. So it now becomes a question, okay, does it make sense to have this kind of gatekeeping threshold at this level with the new rules, or should that be changed? And I think if you look at the economics here, it has to be the case that this number, whatever sense it made in the previous version of the world, where YouTube didn't make any money before you hit these thresholds, is not going to be the same number now after the fact that YouTube makes money before you hit those thresholds. Said another way, it seems likely to me that these threshold numbers will go up because YouTube makes 100% of the dollars before you can hit those thresholds. And yes, YouTube is aligned broadly in terms of getting people into making millions and millions of dollars on YouTube. God knows that isn't whole law at this point in time. But before that, they would prefer not to split the revenue with you if they had their druthers. They're a corporation. They're interested in profitability. And so it wouldn't surprise me if this threshold eligibility requirements numbers are changed in the pretty near future. They also added a section to this particular help post that now makes clear that they are able to serve ads on all content on the platform. This means that if you were previously a member of the partnership program, you may still see ads being served on your content, but you do not receive a share of the revenue, which adds a different incentive, right? There are ways to get kicked out of the YouTube partnership program. Heck, 
I might get struck for bad advertising just because I'm talking about YouTube on this video. That was the case last year when I talked about COPPA and YouTube, regardless of the fact that this is perfectly advertiser-friendly content. But we might get a little YouTube warning. We might have to go through a manual review. So please tell your friends about the existence of this video. But that tends to make it difficult for the channel to succeed in the videos that follow up because we don't get that rapid approval of going up. It takes a little bit longer, etc., etc. But beyond just those kind of simple foot faults or minefields for somebody like me, you do have the opportunity for YouTube to have somebody with a very high level of viewership with a big library of videos that is continuing to get views and for YouTube to say, well, you know what? We think that you're in violation of the partnership program. And so we're going to suspend you or we're going to kick you off and you can come back a little bit later. And during the time that you're off the YPP, YouTube is suddenly getting a lot more money. Now, look, I don't necessarily think that YouTube put these things in place, put all these changes in place specifically to do all these very, very bad things. But it is my job to talk to you about the possibilities. And that is one. You've now got an incentive misalignment, which is one of the things that I try to identify when I negotiate contracts. And that is to say that content creators and YouTube now have this misalignment where YouTube has an incentive to maybe do a few bad things or to take further actions on the margin, to change the eligibility requirements, to be more aggressive about the community guidelines and the partnership program guidelines and to kick people out further and faster. And so in that context, I do think this is worth noting, even if YouTube always had the basic rights to do this. Now, one other question that people asked was about this second sentence, right? The starting November 18th, we're going to treat this as royalties and we might withhold taxes from such payments. Now, if you're in the United States, they say this probably shouldn't affect you, right? Their commentary on these two particular provisions are as follows. With respect to the YPP, they say, hey, we added a new section to let you know that starting today, we will begin slowly rolling out ads on a limited number of videos from channels that are not in the partnership program. This means as a creator that's not in the program, you may see ads on some of your videos. Since you're not in the program, you won't receive a revenue from these ads, but you'll still have the opportunity to apply for the program as you normally would once you meet the eligibility requirements. Obviously, there's no pro promise that those eligibility requirements will stay the same, but that's ultimately what YouTube is asserting they have the right to do here. With respect to the royalties, they say we also updated the terms to mention that any payments from YouTube to U.S. creators, because that's all this particular modification applies to, will be considered royalties from a U.S. tax perspective effective today, November 18th, 2020. Some creators may be required to submit tax information in AdSense and may be subject to U.S. withholding taxes. If required by law, U.S. creators will be generally unaffected by these withholding taxes as long as they provide valid documentation. Now, I looked at this, and one of the things that I have to recommend is the same thing that YouTube recommends. If you have further questions, you may want to seek professional tax advice. When I'm counseling clients, I always say you need a good lawyer you can trust, you need a good accountant you can trust. And frankly, I know enough to be dangerous on accounting and financial questions that I would always recommend you go seek out the favorite YouTuber that you have that talks only about accounting. If there is one, that's great. And also link it in this video because I'd love to talk to them as well. But 
as part of this conversation, we try to suss out what is happening here. Royalties in general, as far as the content creator is concerned, are going to be treated similarly, if not identically, to whatever they might be treated as right now, before November 18th, 2020, whether that was compensation for services rendered, independent contracting, self-employment, however that was being framed, royalties are going to fall in a similar bucket, taxed at a similar rate, and so it's not really that big of a deal to U.S. folks. But all of the rest of this starts to talk about what YouTube is interested in, right? And so I've pulled up publication 515 from the IRS that is talking about a very specific case about foreign persons. It says, in most cases, a foreign person is subject to U.S. tax on its U.S. source income. YouTube, being a U.S. company, is sourcing income on a royalty basis. And if it is paid to foreign persons, those foreign persons are subject to U.S. tax. Most types of U.S. source income received by a foreign person are subject to U.S. tax of 30%. A reduced rate, including exemption, may apply if there is a tax treaty between the foreign person's country of residence and the United States. More on that in just a bit. You also saw in reference to what YouTube was talking about that U.S. creators will be unaffected as long as they provide valid documentation. What does that mean? It means that YouTube doesn't have to withhold from the monies that it's paying to its content creators if they get documentation that establishes that the person is a U.S. person or if it's a foreign person and has to do with an income tax treaty. But primarily, if they collect a certain amount of documentation that establishes that this person that they are going to be paying royalties to, paying this money to, is a U.S. person, you don't have extra withholding from YouTube. You don't have to deal with all of this extra stuff. So why is YouTube doing this? Why are they changing it to a royalty basis? Why are they making everybody potentially go through this process when they might not have had to do that before this point in time? I would guess that the answer relates to the treatment of royalties, right? It says, in general, you must withhold tax under Chapter 3 on the payment of royalties from sources in the United States. However, Certain types of royalties are given reduced rates or exemptions under some tax treaties. So their accounting folks, their legal folks went to them and said, hey, we're treating this as personal compensation and we're doing whatever we are doing in these various jurisdictions. But if we wound up calling these royalties for content created for our benefit as kind of a contractor relationship, then we could find ourselves under these reduced classifications under various treaties across the world. Now, I don't know those treaties. Again, you have to go talk to that accountant YouTube number to talk about those things. But these treaties are going to talk about specific royalty tax rates that might get certain benefits to YouTube, might be treated in a beneficial way to YouTube. And clearly they are making this change, as every company does, because they think for some reason it benefits them. You see that there are various royalty rates for motion pictures or television copyrights and other royalties. You'd have to go into the treaty. You'd have to be doing this for YouTube, for pay, for billable hours in a way that I am not doing to determine exactly how this might affect YouTube and its other international content creators. But that is also why you probably see their reference to the fact that this is rolling out to the United States where it won't really affect United States citizens, but we can establish the baseline for what we want to do. And we won't be rolling it out really for everybody else until the end of next year because there's some legal research to be done. There's some drafting to be done. There's potentially some negotiations to be done. But at the end of the day, this change, these changes, the royalty change, the face data collection change, and especially that we now can put advertising on every video on YouTube change, don't actually appear to modify the relationship that you already had with YouTube, even if 
you were outside the YouTube partnership program. So while I think these questions are great, I think it's good that people are asking these questions. I think it's great that YouTube put together a document where they actually explain what they are thinking and making these changes at least somewhat. I would still love some clarity on the whole face thing. I don't think this is a similar situation to everything that happened with four kids against kids, great for kids, not great for kids, COPPA, the FTC, and everything else. Except for this, I will say that once again, YouTube adding advertisement that you didn't ask for without a toggle to prevent it and putting it on your channel in your content, regardless of whether or not you are in the YouTube partnership program or not, is another example of how YouTube content creators are not in any respect the owners and operators of the website on which their content appears on YouTube. That is and will forever be YouTube and Alphabet and Google and everyone else. And the FTC's continued saber rattling on this point continues to look more and more specious. So hopefully this was educational, informative. These terms of service really don't change a lot but it is going to affect everybody's use of YouTube because even those small channels are now going to have advertisements for cars or for politics or for whatever else it might be. If you enjoyed this video, please check out the rest of Virtual Legality. We are talking about this and other issues all the time. We just talked about Twitch's continuing issues with the DMCA, the launch of the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox, how Epic and Apple are treating each other outside of the context of law and new lawsuits in Australia and everything else. We've talked about Dr. Disrespect and Twitch a lot. So if you do like this content, we're talking about the business and law of pop culture, video games, movies, music, entertainment in general. Please do like, subscribe, share, ring bells, tell people that we are here because we love having new subscribers. We love having these conversations in this space. Otherwise, if you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.